Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema. My name is Jason Daphnis, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. My name is Aaron Grossman. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. I'm Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. And we have a very special guest joining us for today's episode. Film programmer of the Trilon himself, John Moret, comes back to our show to talk about some movies and stuff. Thanks so much for being on, John. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, so we wanted to start out, of course, this is special circumstances. Finally, we are actually a podcast about movies we saw and people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota once more because we viewed uh, an early screening of Attack the Block um, at tri- the Trilon yesterday. This is being recorded on Sunday. And it's one of the first, if not the first movie that'll be shown right after you guys reopen. Yeah, that's true. We open on Friday with Attack the Block. Great. Uh, tell me a little bit about how uh, reopening is going to be structured. I know that some of this information is out there, but repeat for our listeners, if you would. Yeah. So um, I feel like after a few months of the coronavirus stuff happening, we're all getting a better sense of what is actually dangerous and what the science is really telling us. So we're trying to do our best to think about what um, what we can do to keep people safe and continue to to share air with people and all that stuff. So um, we're opening with everybody has to wear masks uh, throughout the, the lobby and the film. Uh, we're asking people to um, buy their tickets in advance. So we're not... Um, sharing uh, any money or anything like that, that will go away pretty quickly because I think um, as we've seen, not a lot of this stuff is passing through something like uh, surfaces. So uh, we'll be introducing the discount cards again pretty quickly. Um, But we are keeping with no concessions, uh, at least for the time being, uh, with the hope that it encourages people to keep their masks on. Um, Yesterday, I, I, I tried like having a tiny cup of iced coffee and I'd like pull down my mask for a second and take a drink and put it back up. Um, and yeah, I totally spilled it all over my pants. So uh, <laughs> it seems to make sense to me. Um, no concessions make sense. Uh, and I actually found it wearing the mask during the film not frustrating. I thought it would be super irritating. Um, and it wasn't bad. Um, the other thing that we're doing is because we're keeping our audience to 20% of capacity, which is 20 seats, um, we are. Uh, uh, showing films longer or as in, um, more days and more show times. So rather than having, uh, 12 films a month, we're having something like five and we're just showing them more often so that we can give them more show times and have each show time pretty much empty. Great. This strategy came about because of, uh, of course, social distancing norms and regulations trying to keep people safe. Um, uh, we'll get to the movie that we saw in a second. Cause I know we've got a lot to say about it, but I want to know 
just candidly, what is the scariest part of reopening so far for, for Trilon staff and volunteers? What has been the thing that's like that could happen? You know, anything, anything that's keeping you up at night about it? Um, I mean, I'm not too, I'm not too worried about some of that stuff. Cause I think people are doing a pretty good job of keeping themselves safe when they need to. I'm hoping that, um, at risk communities are aware of that and they're, um, not going to be coming out. We're definitely not, we don't want people to feel bad because they're not comfortable being in the space. Um, you, I think people should come back when they feel comfortable coming back and we'll be there when you come back. If it's six months, if it's eight months, whatever, um, we're, we're doing okay. Stuff like t-shirt sales and discount card sales, um, have been pretty steady and, um, we had some money in the bank at the beginning. So like, we're going to be fine. Um, so I, I'm not too worried about people in those communities getting sick because I'm hoping they're going to do a good job of self-isolating. Uh, I think more the thing that, that worries me a bit is, um, you know, some type of situation where we have, um, I'm trying to even realize, and I'm trying to think about what this would be and I don't really quite understand it. I mean, it's, it's the type of thing where I just hope people are going to be really, um, responsible with who they are and, um, you know, that they're taking care of themselves and not coming if they can get sick or if they're keeping their masks on while they're in the building. And I, you know, we just have to trust people. And I think, um, I mean, I think that's where we start. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to chime in. Of course, we were there yesterday. It's the first time I've seen a movie uh, somewhere that wasn't in my own home for several months, obviously, I think, as everybody else here. Uh, and starting out, I mean, the guys know I was sitting there sort of, you know, scratching my arms a little bit worried, honestly, uh, just still residually panicking over being in a closed space with people for an extended period of time. Um, and although I, you know, I'm, I'm aware of everything the Trilon is doing to try and keep people safe, I was still worried just internally, like you said, that sure. it's varying levels of comfort and mine was pretty low to begin with, um, enough that I wanted to visit and then I wanted to support and be there for, you know, the great opportunity you gave us to see the movie early, uh, but, but not quite enough to be like, yeah, I'd do this again in a heartbeat, taking my mask off right away sort of thing. And sure. by the end I had just sort of lost, I, I don't know if anybody else felt that way to begin with, but I was. I had sort of lost my concerns as I was going because um, partially because of everything that the Triline has been like a lot of the messaging around it has been only come if you're comfortable. Uh, you, like I, I asked if it would make anybody feel weird if, if I bought a ticket for a movie and then didn't show yeah. up. Um, right. And that, of course, like that's contributing to, you know, general health as well. So uh, if anybody's wondering how you can like stay within a comfort zone. If your comfort zone is very, very small, there are still ways to do that. Um, and mine grew a little bit while I was, while I was at the trial line yesterday, anybody else here have that feeling? How, how was everybody feeling going in and coming out? Uh, I felt pretty good about it. I mean, John, John and I had talked about this briefly yesterday, but I think it, it does help that the trial on is such like a, I don't know, pillar in the community, right. And that you get a lot of people from the community and that I, I don't think you're going to get the kind of people that have been, uh, you know, filmed recently, taking off their masks and making a big stink about it. I think most of the people that you're going to see are probably going to be people who are very up to date with a lot of the health stuff going on that want to wear a mask um, and are fine with doing the social distancing. Um, so I think I, I definitely feel more comfortable kind of knowing that. I don't know if I'd want to go to the AMC or the Showplace Icon right now, but the trial on, that's a different story, I think. Same. Yeah, I uh I mean, I don't want to um downplay the 
potential risks, right? Because going to any public place right now is still risky. Um, but for me personally, uh, sort of given what John said about the way that we're finding out, um, the virus is spreading. Uh, I'm really just freaked out by people not wearing masks, I guess. And, uh, Frankly, there's like a much greater risk of something like that happening at like my local grocery store, uh, which is extremely unfortunate, right? But it's true. And so like um, with everything the Tronon's doing with their mask policy, um, and especially how seriously uh, Barry and John and, and everybody is taking it, um, and they've talked a bit about that in other places as well, that does a lot to alleviate my personal concerns um, such that, you know, like going to um, the movie yesterday with all of you, I knew that you were all going to be wearing masks. So I, I was able to feel pretty chill about it, but um, I don't know how I would feel about people I don't know. So that's sort of an interesting obstacle, I guess. But like Aaron said, yeah. um, I, I have a lot of faith in uh, maybe the the sort of people that would go to the trilon in the first place and go to like small community led and driven um, spaces in general, right? Like I, I feel like the type of people that, that patronize those are generally pretty cool about not uh, being a danger to their communities. Maybe that's uh, unfounded, but it's sort of a feeling I have. So I feel all right about it. Yeah. And it should be said, uh, we were in something of a privileged position, of course, having seen this movie a little bit early. Uh, it was us and John and a friend of John's. Um, tell your friend, by the way, John, if he wants to be on our show, we're we're happy to have him. Seems like he likes seeing movies. Yeah. I'll, I'll let him know. He's a, he's also a member of the cult film collective. And um, the, the members of that, I think would make it for a nice conversation with you guys as well. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, but yeah, we were, it was a bit, a bit of a privileged position where even like my uh, transformation from uncomfortable to comfortable is incredibly privileged in that there were a total of six people in the theater. Uh, now you can, I got the sense while sitting there that, you know, the difference between six people and 20 people sitting there isn't going to be hugely noticeable, especially since like I was, I was seated about as comfortable, I was comfortably close to Cody as I ever want to be, but generally <laughs> also with, with in a time of social distancing, um, I was about two seats away. Uh, sorry for going on so much about it, but I think it's kind of an important thing to mention. It's kind of, it's big for the theater. It's, it's big for viewers. Uh, and whoever's listening might, might be interested. Aaron, you got something to say about that? Yeah, well, I was going to ask with, uh, I know you mentioned that you're, you're planning on doing more showings of fewer films, right? So attack the block or, or, you know, films that you're going to show when you reopen might show mm -hmm. for maybe a little longer or, uh, has that kind of changed how you've thought about the programming for the, uh, the trilon or I guess, how's that changed kind of your general duties? If yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, I'd say it's thrown the programming, um, completely, you know, it's, a uh, I, I, my, I always took a lot of care with sort of balancing three month calendars. Um, my goal was always to hit a bunch of different notes over the course of three months that made the programming feel really balanced and, um, a sense of everything and kind of, uh, it was always my way of, of highlighting how rich and uh, diverse film can be, uh, mm -hmm. how it can come from a lot of different, um, generations. It can come from a lot of different countries. Uh, it can, you know, and so by trying to do that, um, it gave me a way of kind mm -hmm. of showing some sort of more difficult films alongside films that I thought would sell really well, um, as a way to sort of balance the calendar and even out, um, looking ahead, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, but realistically we're going to get to the fall and places that are enclosed um while school's going on and things are spreading i mean there's a good chance we close again so um so i'm 
I'm now planning calendar by calendar. It will be month by month so that we can easily sort of open and close accordingly. We can um, have only a few bookings to deal with that we can sort of shuffle around quickly and move things around. And um, I mean, it's really all going to be about being nimble now and and what that looks like um, when things to make sure that we're one being safe, according to what uh, the governor and um, that says, but also to like how people are feeling and what what things are going with. So um, it's really changed programming in a huge way. Um, August was going to be the 75th anniversary of uh, the end of the war in the Pacific. And um, I had a, a huge series plan that I'd been working on for almost two years, um, all kinds of super rare prints and all kinds of, and that stuff, you know, it's just, there's not another 75th anniversary, um, you know, in August uh, for that. So uh, it, it's going to, it's going to be one of those things where it's not like, that's not a huge tragedy and it's not, but it's the type of thing that all those things add up to, you know, it's been, it's going to be a summer, a spring, a fall of sort of mourning the things that we lose. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it's similar to like, I love baseball and it's been really strange having a spring and summer without baseball. Um, but it just is what it is. Right. And you got to keep moving. Yeah. It's about bouncing back at this point. Uh, and like, to pivot from there, uh, the way that you're bouncing back, the film that's been chosen is Attack the Block, a 2011 film directed by Joe Cornish. And uh, as always, I think Aaron has uh, a short summary of the film for us just to get us on good talking points. Yeah, a very short summary. Uh, we're ta- yeah, Joe Cornish's uh, 2011 British science fiction uh, creature feature comedy mashup. Um, kind of, I guess, most notably looking back at it now stars John Boyega as his uh kind of debut role. Uh, He plays Moses, who is the leader of a teenage gang uh, in London uh, that uncovers, kind of finds an alien that has recently crash landed on Earth. Um, The gang kills the alien during an altercation after it uh, attacks Moses, uh, but are forced to defend themselves uh, when more, even more dangerous, threatening creatures uh, crash land on Earth and threaten the block that they live on. Oh, that's it? That's very it. Good. Three sentences, man. I'm telling you. Dang. Very well done. Uh, I think it's important to talk about where this movie comes from as well. Again, George Cornish is uh, best friends with, well, I don't know about best friends, but friends with uh, Edgar Wright and the um, Shaun of the Dead uh, sort of set. Um, and it it borrows, I'm sure, as, 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 as it should, a lot of flavors from that brand of sort of uh, action comedy science fiction, wherein... Uh, Again, it like distills a lot of different, several different genres into ostensibly one new thing. Uh, it has very comedic elements. It has some dramatic elements. Uh, it has an underlying uh, social message, uh, maybe not so underlying at times. I'll get into why I think that's uh, not always a strength of the movie later on. But And I hate to put you on the spot about this one, John, but as you're the guest, do you want to tell us how you want to start talking about this movie? Where Where you'd like to find our entry point here? Yeah. I mean, I think it, um, you know, when we're the moment that we're in, uh, you know, we we're opening amid, um, some crazy times and I feel like there's so much going on and there's so many ways to, to watch films right now. And as a repertory cinema, we're not always about being current. Um, I'm actually pretty defiantly against sort of programming to the moment. Um, but this was one of those weird moments where we got to open 
Um, we always do an alien invasion film for the 4th of July. And I wanted to continue that tradition. And this one sort of just felt right. It's got, um, it's got kind of the right elements to it. It's, uh, like you were saying, it's funny at times. It's, um, it's sort of action packed. It's got, uh, it's got some really nice, uh, comedy beats as it's going. And it's got some, some pretty great, um, uh, special effect work, I think as well, especially some of the filming within the smoke and the stuff within the block. And there's some, there's some really neat moments in this film that I think make it stand out. Um, I also think, you know, as a, as a social commentary of nine years ago in London, um, there are a lot of things that speak to our moment, not on the nose, but in a way that sort of portrays, uh, you know, one, an African-American, he's not American, uh, a a black uh, Londonite who is a super strong character. And the, um, you know, the, the villains are sort of twofold, right? You've got the police and you've got the aliens and they sort of stand as this one, two punch. And uh, it's a, it's a nice, I think it's an, it's a nice film for the moment. And it doesn't, I don't know that there needs to be too much dug into why we're choosing that um, politically, but it, it definitely, it feels right. And it feels like the right thing to show to sort of lighten this mood in a way that it's like, this is serious and we, we care about it, but it's also a super fun movie. And, um, and that's what we wanted to do. Great. Uh, guys, you got any, any starting thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll say that, uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about, uh, Joe Cornish being friends with, with Edgar Wright. I mean, no coincidence here. I mean, obviously there's a lot of, uh, those relationships kind of over in the British scene, but this is also, so this is a, it was a production of Big Talk Productions, which is a British film and television production company. Um, they've actually done uh, a lot of the Edgar Wrights, maybe all of the Edgar Wright films, actually. Um, they did Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, also, uh, The Kid Who Would Be King, which is actually the other Joe Cornish film. Uh, I think, Jason, you watched that early today. Um, but they did this film as well. Um, wait, wait, what, what's the kid who would be King and is it any good? What is this? Uh, the kid who wouldn't be King is sort of a, a more modern ish take. It's from last year. Joe Cornish, of course, directed it, uh, take on the Arthurian legend of the Knights of the Round Table. Um, it, it is, it's okay. Uh, it's very written. It's sort of the, some of this, I, I watched it for context of like, okay, so he made this film. It was critically pra- like, uh, praised at the time and people remember it as a cult classic. And then what he did like production and writing work for seven, eight years, and then came out with this, right. with this, uh, again, he wrote and directed this adaptation of the Arthurian legend. It's fun. It's cute. Uh, it like, it, it does sounds that like same Disney. Thing. It's a little bit Disney. Uh, it's like very much a children's movie, right? Jason? Yes. It's well, yeah. I mean, in the same way that, um, again, it's, it, we're getting sort of into the Joe Cornish flavor that I've noticed having seen two of his movies in the last 48 hours. But, uh, wherein there's like the ostensible there's the plot there's the reason that the movie exists and it's to retell a story in the case of um attack the block it's alien invasion in the case of uh kid who would be king it's the arthurian legend in modern day you know just a, a bunch of uh silly kids in in london reenacting stories from from fabled legend uh but there's also a, a running undercurrent as there was in uh attack the block of some form of social commentary wherein the take here, the take with uh, Kid Who Would Be King, and this isn't spoiling much, is that um, 
those myths should die, essentially, that they are built to reinforce power structures of the rich and powerful, uh, which is a really interesting take. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's like as far as movie making and how engaging it really is, I, I don't know. But like that spin made it enough to like, I'd probably rewatch that someday just to refresh my memory about it. Plus, Patrick Stewart and I forget the kid's name, but like a uh, lanky white kid uh that's actually now that i think about it a lot like that like the lanky white kid in attack the block uh patrick stewart and this kid sort of they share the same role as a merlin young and old and it's just really fun to see patrick stewart jump into that like stupid sort of aloof role for a second uh i'm I'm going on too long but uh it's fun it's worth watching hmm interesting Uh, yeah i sorry i I totally interrupted you no, I uh, I was also curious about that because the I, I believe it got like okay reviews. I know it was a financial. It's loss. yeah, it's sitting. Uh, I think it's sitting at like eighty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes for what that's worth. It's like, hmm. or maybe it's Metacritic. It's it was like it was liked, but it was a complete bomb. Uh, more or sure. less like Attack the Block. We didn't really talk about Attack the Block's critical or commercial performance, but Attack the Block, uh, at least in, in the UK market, was also kind of a bomb. It made back only about half of its budget at the time, despite being like really well uh, hyped for you know awards season and such uh, on the awards circuit anyway. Um, but uh, it, that sort of, if if everybody will indulge me, sort of leads me to uh, where Attack the Block and and Joe Cornish's writing style if not his directing style i think his writing his directing style is more and the word i've seen these used is confident than his writing style wherein the writing style tends to put like almost everything on the page there's i think it's a good line but there's a line where uh, john boyega's character moses in attack the block uh as they're being assailed by monsters climbing the walls of their building uh he says that he thinks that uh the feds essentially like they couldn't kill uh black boys in the neighborhood with drugs or guns so then they sent monsters after them which is i think like it's very thought-provoking but it's sort of it, it almost comes out of nowhere in a lot of ways to me anyway uh and that sort of continues in the kid who would be king where that line uh what i said about it being like those things being made to enforce power structures created by the rich and powerful that to me could have been an unstated sort of a theme of the movie. And instead it's, it's dialogue and monologue. Um, I saw a lot of hands go up and down. I'll, I'll, I'll back up and let, uh, let y'all take it from there. Cody, do you want to go ahead? Uh, sure I can. Um, I, I think Jason, that ties back pretty well to, um, what I think John, you were talking about how, how certain things, uh, here were very on the nose, um, and, and those scenes and, and those, those quips that, that you, like that one you brought up, Jason is, is a really great example of that. Um, after the, the first, the gang's first encounter with, uh, Jodie Whittaker's character, uh, Samantha Adams, um, there's an exchange about like, you know, why are we, why are we robbing nurses? Like they don't make a lot of money. Like <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, yeah, that there's there's not uh, there's not a whole ton of of subtlety here, and I guess at at the end of the day, I was I was thankful that some of those ideas were communicated, um, and if if kind of spoon feeding audiences in a way and and making sure they got what the you know what the bit was, you know if if that's you know a, a sacrifice that needed to be made in order for this movie to get released, then I I guess I'm okay with it, but it definitely felt like there could have been more, there could have been more drafts. Uh, there could have been more revisions of, of this script to, to polish those scenes a bit more. 
Uh, I guess I can have a sort of dissenting opinion. Um, I disagree. I don't think I totally agree with uh, Jason's um, reading of that, I, I guess just in the sense that, um, and, and maybe I'm giving this movie too much credit in a weird way, but um, this movie didn't read as particularly didactic to me outside of a uh, general sort of humanization of uh, poor and marginalized communities in London, which is so on the face of it that it doesn't really need to be uh, didactic so much as it was um, to my thinking more of a character piece. Um, I like, I actually think that Moses is a really strong character with a really good uh, character arc. And I think that this movie has a sort of, um, ideology of identity that is really um that works for me pretty well and integrates with some of the social commentary themes that uh that the movie's making plain um in an interesting way like for instance that line that you uh spoke about jason where where um, moses talks about how this could be a conspiracy set up by the feds to further sort of um incriminate and murder uh young black people um, was sort of like a, um, like a setup to me, uh, that, that sort of prefigured the later reveal that, uh, Moses is 15 years old, which was like a, a really striking moment. Again, not subtle, right. But it worked for me really well. Uh, just in that, like it retrospectively made a lot of the, uh, feelings and, um, thoughts that he was having even more sort of tragic where it's like a, a 15 year old boy is talking about the sort of grand sweeping historical narrative by which state power has incriminated and marginalized black communities. And it's like the fact that a 15 year old has to be thinking about that stuff and has to be robbing people in the streets became very tragic in retrospect. And so like, that is what those sort of thoughts were doing for me beyond a sort of didactic point in a way that made it, uh, sing for me, I guess, maybe in a way that it, it didn't for everybody. Um, I'll actually yield uh, to to John. I see your hand up. Go ahead. Go ahead. I uh, I guess I, I just wanted to, uh, Harry. I think you're 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 right, and to kind of uh, put out a, a disclaimer for myself, and I don't know, maybe some of you guys too. Like my experience with this movie, um, I. I, I think out of the, those of us who are usually on this podcast, this was maybe the, uh, I, unless I'm mistaken, I might be the only one who was revisiting this movie. And I think maybe I came into it wanting to see certain things in it that were, you know, I, I was reading a lot of very, very local, based on things that are happening locally, I, I maybe wanted to pull certain things from this movie that, that weren't there. Um, and Harry, I agree with you that uh, Attack the Block isn't really a didactic work, but sometimes it felt like it it was trying to be that and never really operated in a in a happy medium that made certain things sing. And I, I don't know how to much to, to I can dock concede this. that. I, I don't know how much to dock this movie for it because from from what I've read, Cornish did put forth the effort into like doing his research, talking to to youth and seeing how they would respond to certain things and uh like the, their, their, the information that they gave him, you know, their answers d- directly informed how he wrote these, you know, this band of characters, this, this main uh, kind of gang uh, of, of young people that we follow. Um, but broadening the, the scope of his character focus to make it, you know, it kind of fluttered between, you know, this is a conversation about class, 
um, and it, uh, a conversation about uh, people of color and their experiences, it, it felt like it it weakened uh, certain certain things. And and again, I don't know how to how much to dock this movie for it because Cornish is a white guy, and the last thing I would want is for uh, a white artist to try and insert their their views, you know, take over the uh, the mouthpiece of a different you know, be it race or, or culture or anything else. Um, and, and try and make that, that his, um, but you know, if you want to make this a discussion of class warfare, then, then you should do that. Right. Like it, it, you know, it makes your movie stronger. If you commit to, you know, this is uh, a conversation about, about young people who they're, they're poor. This is their experience. Um, like it just feels weird to make your, your cast of characters. You know, there are more, black characters and there are more black characters who are taken out of the movie who are, are killed by these creatures and they don't see their arcs realized and they're replaced by, by white characters of, you know, meant to be, um, you know, comedic relief. And they're literally sitting on a, on a couch benefiting from, uh, and I'm opening this up maybe way too much, but the, these two white people who are, who are directly, benefiting from the buying and selling of drugs and as these things are happening i'm maybe thinking more about 2020 and the things that we've seen up to this point and you know this movie maybe leaves more of a sour taste uh than what i wanted um and it's not cornish's fault that he's buddies with nick frost right and wants to see more of him in the movie um i've yammered on for way too much but that was kind of me reflecting on this movie today um ultimately still feeling great about it um but also like how somebody like myself could maybe read into this a little too much. Sure. I think it's the writing mostly that surfaces that. Yeah. Yeah. I think reading into it a lot is what makes movies like this fun, right? Like it's, um, this, this is my, my way of sort of defending middle brow, sort of mostly thoughtful young filmmaking, which I think, um, when you really love cinema, you, it's easy to get in these conversations where you can, hate on sort of easy to digest things that have social commentary on the nose and doesn't quite hit the mark and is a mess. Right. And I think it's a great example of that, but it's also a great example of how something like that can still be successful at a few things, even if it's messing up along the way. Um, and I sort of think that that fearless, uh, type of middle brow crowd pleasing type film um has a really has a really strong place i think in cinema and i think tends to be the type of film that more people see and more people do take things from i mean uh and and again rewatching it um i was pretty struck by some of the things that i was like i don't remember that seeing that in the movie and now that takes on a totally different flavor than what i remember um and i guess that's what's great about film and that's it's great about getting older and seeing things one way and then seeing them again. And it's really fun to hear, uh, hear you guys talk about it in that way, because it's, that's how seriously I take movies like this. And, and it's really fun when other people think about them in a way where they, they don't want to just accept what they are, but they, they really enjoy, um, thinking about what's going on with subtext and all those things as well. And on here, it's, it's practically not subtext, but that's what makes it fun. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll give it up. 
No, I, I, I like that a lot. That's a, that's sort of a funny meta critique of our whole podcast. <laughs> and, and I'm maybe more guilty of that than uh, anybody here, which is why it's so funny that like I, this is almost a, a pretty hypocritical uh, statement of mine to make. But I, I think that the, um, the difference that I have in my maybe opinion, and I don't know that it's actually a huge difference of opinion in the first place uh, between me and Jason's reads on this movie is I just don't, I don't think that I need this movie to present a fully formed ideology of race relations in South London um, or a fully formed sort of ideology of like uh, Marxist uh, class relations either. Um, I don't, like the extent to which this movie leverages uh, the struggles of the marginalized communities um, in order to tell a character story or tell a genre story. I think that you can uh, litigate those. I don't know that we're the right people to litigate those. Um, I tend to come down on the side, John, that you sort of talked about, especially with like middlebrow filmmaking, where it's like, it's sort of better than nothing in, and that's sort of a cynical way to put it. Right. But it's, but it's sort of like, I don't like, I don't, I don't think that that movies should necessarily stop themselves from being about poor black people in South London just because they can't then be all about those things. Um, but like Cody said, I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about it because like Cody said, the movie is interested in exploring those topics to a point. Right. And so uh, maybe there, there's a sense in which they should go further. Or they shouldn't go as far. I'm thinking now specifically about like the Jodie Whittaker character who is sort of a misstep in my opinion uh, in this movie um, that sort of characterizes the movie's tentative uh, like striving toward being social commentary. Um, but uh, you know, that, that being said, uh, I just like, I think that those elements of this movie actually help more than they hurt, even if they're sort of uh, easy to, or not easy, but, but worth critiquing. Um, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that specifically in regard to the Jodie Whittaker character, I think that her arc is, is kind of interesting. And I think how it relates to Moses's gang is interesting as well. You know, I think just the fact that the movie starts off with Moses's gang just straight up robbing her, right? Uh, is kind of an interesting choice, right? And then it proceeds to humanize uh, characters that you, I guess, initially see as the bad guys in the film. Um, I think that's kind of a brave choice. That doesn't feel like something that would necessarily happen even in kind of a smaller budget American film today. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Harry, do you do you agree? Yeah, and I think specifically, um, I, I definitely agree with that point. And it's specifically the way in which they humanize and redeem, quote unquote, these characters without uh, capitulate or without sort of hand wringing about the what they were doing, right? Like, there, there's never a point in this movie where they're they're talking about like, well, uh, they need to do this to survive, right? Or they uh, actually what they were doing wasn't that bad or something like that. Right. Like there's, there's that one line where, where he says something about like, Oh, the knife was there to get it over quick because we were just as scared as you were, which is again, uh, to Jason's point, maybe a little on the nose, but other than that, it's like the movie never says like, they're not mugging this person or like, they're not quote unquote criminals. Right. And right. There's, like, there, yeah. There's no, like uh, nothing that you're not seeing. Right. 
I, I was I was trying to open dialogue right. there, Harry. It, like, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not as if it's not as if there's something that you're learning about them as you're going, except their personalities interiority. You're not learning about like, oh, it was a case of mistaken identity. We weren't the ones who robbed you. Oh, it was a case like we the 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 knife was fake or whatever. It, it's none of those switcheroo moments that would have cheapened it a little bit. So in that respect, I agree. Yeah, and I think I think it's also worth saying there's not that many movies that make urban black males the hero of their film. Uh, which I think that is uh, in itself feels like worth worth having on screen in a way that I think American films are really bad at. They either make uh, African-American people like these perfect heroes that are uh, the best ever and never make mistakes um, or they're, or they're, they're completely devoid of, of um, a black population that they're in touch with in their community. And I think that it's nice that here, it does put put them in that place in a place that is um pretty much foreign to to most white audiences that this even exists and so i think that um that in itself is a brave choice and i think he does fumble it a whole bunch of times but i'm pretty sure most filmmakers would unless they're making a super intellectual argument rather than um a movie about aliens that attack uh uh teenagers yeah um you know, I think that that's kind of reflected in uh, just the the cast of this film, right? Like a lot of the cast of this film were pretty unknown actors, um, local to the area that they were shooting in. I think that's pretty reflected very well with the the dialect that they speak in, as well as their acting styles. I think a lot of that feels very authentic, um, and I think that even ties into kind of the low budget nature of this film, in which Joe Cornish is really getting. All, really bringing a lot of water out of a rock at a certain point where it, it's very obvious that they were constrained by budgets, uh, you know, in portraying the monsters uh, in kind of the locations that they were shooting in. But he really makes the best of, a, I won't say a bad situation, but a fairly limited one. Um, you know, I think specifically, you know, the way that they portray these monsters as these kind of pitch black uh, uh, kind of creatures, probably for budgetary reasons, right? It's probably easier to to animate them um, and to do whatever kind of CGI work they needed to do. Um, there's lots of scenes that are extremely creative, uh, kind of the, the smoke kind of like gas scene uh, in the hallway of the apartment that is straight out of like Apocalypse Now. Um, feels really cool. And it feels like a really cool way to create a scene like that when you don't have millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, and it, there's moments like that where it's like, even if the, the overall film, is I think a pretty good movie moments like that really elevate it for me. Cause I love seeing filmmakers able to do that. Yeah. It's super worth talking about that. Right. Like I'm, I'm still interested in, uh, in litigating this movie's uh, success relative to its sort of ambitions, but like it's, it's super worth talking about how triumphant it is at being like really good, low to mid budget filmmaking. Like it just, it looks so good. And like you said, Aaron, uh, it's so obvious that their budget was limited. Where like, they do the, the classic, uh, really good special effects trick where like, you never really see the monsters. They're, they're like these sort of shadow things and they have glow in the dark teeth, but like they do a lot of really, uh, clever things to make sure that they're never really fully on camera. Um, and they, they have a lot of really good set pieces. It's also like extremely triumphant in how it, creates the world where like 
early on in the movie, you see a map of the block and specifically of the uh, tenement apartment complex that they live in. And then like you spend the rest of the movie getting to know like every inch of this place, right? Like to the point where, where there are set pieces that are callbacks to earlier established moments where like uh, the, the youngest member, or I think it's the youngest member, right? Biggs is the guy who can't, who's afraid he won't be able to make that jump early on. And then later on, he does make that jump. Um, between uh, two staircases and uh, like that's such a good moment and like uh, they talk about different like security gates and partitions within the uh, the um, tenement building and like later on the elevator comes back like it's just really smart action filmmaking on top of everything else and like you said Aaron it's sort of um, ringing a lot out of a uh, stone um, and I, that sort of characterizes a lot of the different elements of this movie, uh, for me, because like, uh, John said with, with this movie is also the fact that like, it's about poor black youth and, uh, that's so rare, particularly for American movies who, uh, like also usually if you make a, a movie starring a black person, it has to be a movie about the black experience, like entirely to the point where there's this whole sort of, um, subgenre that that's taken a lot of criticism in America about like the black trauma film where like we have to make movies about particularly black suffering and like how hard it is to be black uh in America or elsewhere through history and there there's something almost that almost reaches like fetishistic levels which like I'm not the guy to talk about that but but it it's so it's so refreshing right to see a movie that that is just a genre movie about black people and then on top of all of that it actually does achieve a lot of the things that we've been talking about. We're like, it's not just a movie about a black guy and it's not just a movie about um, like a a black genre movie, but it's actually a a really successful black genre movie that actually does incorporate a lot of social issues um, pretty organically, uh, not always organically. Right. But like, it's, it's important, I think, to give the movie marks for that, especially given that it was made in 2011. Um, and given that it, it holds up pretty well now, in my opinion, um, especially the fact that it stars John Boyega, um, which is rad. Go ahead, Jason. I was just going to chime in with uh, the the creatures. Uh, actually, you'd be su- I don't know if you'd be surprised. Uh, you might have seen the same videos I did. There are short little featurettes on how they put to- those monsters together. And uh, it's actually a-, a lot of it is very practical. Like it's I think they called it two guys in gorilla suits. Uh, just running around and then they like superimposed on top of that the super like vanta black absorbs all light around them type uh effects and like made their fur a little bit spikier and made the mouths more menacing and stuff but a lot of it is is like legitimately practical effects um uh so that just like i i guess i'm i'm feeding the conversation about this being a movie that rings blood out of a stone where it's like you got a lot of value for what you did to that because i think that those monsters are uh, very convincing, very like interesting to watch move. Um, uh, with respect to like the different ways that it that it tries to communicate its 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 story, being about uh, black youth in uh, in a world that doesn't really see them, uh, it I think that it works on on certain levels, but doesn't on others. I think I, if I went further, I'd probably just be rehashing what I had what I said before, though. Uh, so I'll, I'll let t- Cody take it from there um, and and comment on whatever he was gonna bring up next uh no i i agree with um yeah like the and i was actually going to bring that up uh at at some point as well like you know mostly practical effects cgi obviously the budget being limited in in the way it was um you know they were it it seemed like that they were in some ways earnest 
to move forward with as like as practical of a route as possible when it comes to those. And and I think they look great for what it's worth. Um, you know, we're all saying the same things at this point. Having the movie take place uh largely in the dark over the course of one night. Um hopefully that doesn't uh you bring this out of the running for any future trial on up all night uh movie nights or anything like that. Um but like that that is a, a service to to the um to these creatures um, keeping them in the dark until the appropriate narrative moments, keeping them in the dark to hide any shortcomings that may come with making these uh, these costumes um, practically. And also, like from from you know, going back to to the writing, and also I guess the the Edgar Wrightness of this all, like Attack the Block has has that same rhythm that the Cornetto trilogy movies, for example, have, you know, the, there's, and I, I know I was talking with Harry about this after, you know, when, when we were leaving the theater at, um, and, you know, heading, heading our separate ways, but we were just kind of waiting for a, a dry, dull moment. Um, but this movie is incredibly taut. It feels, you know, 50 to 60 minutes long instead of 90. Um, and that's, you know, it, the, it never loses that rhythm, even when we're even when we're catching our breath. You know, like the this film has a has a great rhythm to it, and the, and the fact that we're limited to to one night, I I think benefits that a ton. Yeah, I it's interesting, right? Oh, go ahead, John. Oh no, that's okay. I was just gonna say uh, I have to go do some parenting soon, but um, I can hear them yelling and my wife being like, <laughs> "Oh God." Um, yeah, no, I I I think I think it is worth coming back to just how good this movie is at being fun. And I think it, um, there are so many dour, dark films. And I think um, sometimes, and, and that's actually what I tend to watch and tend to love. So sometimes when I find one of these, I'm like, oh, this is, this is legitimately fun. Like I'm having a great time. I'm, smi- I'm like smiling and laughing uh, regularly. Um, I appreciate that a lot. And I think that that's really hard to do. And that, that does have that Edgar Wright flavor, which is what Cody was just saying. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I think um, that's worth bringing up is that, uh, you know, this, uh, this famous moment now where, where Boyega was, was speaking and he said at one point, like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to work again. I don't know if Disney's going to hire me again. I don't know what's going to happen here. Um, it, that felt like to me the moment where I was like, well, the Trilon can certainly show a movie starring this guy and make sure that like, you know, we don't, we don't need to be a political organization, but I do think, um, as a space that, uh, really wants to embrace, um, all people. And especially at this moment, um, people of color who are, are feeling like, you know, if they speak up, who knows what's going to happen. It felt very good to be like, we're going to do this, um, you know, for him. And also just as like a, a way of, of signaling that like this organization is uh is committed to showing black films and we have for years and um and and I wanted that to be first you know out of the gate when we reopened um and and the funny thing is is as I was watching movies and thinking about films this summer um the amount of of movies starring black people where the black person is not a cop is uh very limited so that uh that also is is something fascinating to think about and I thought about putting together a series of films with African-American cops and, and what that looks like and, you know, how that gets presented. But that seems more like a, um, a seminar series at the U of M and I, that's just not what the trial on is for. So, um, but I wanted to say thank you guys one for, for coming. 
I really enjoyed seeing all of you at the at the film. It felt really cool. It felt like um like maybe things are are going to come back to normal someday and we'll get to watch movies again together. Um it also just was a, it's the type of movie I would like to watch with friends because I didn't want to revisit this one alone. Um it, it seems more like it's the kind of movie that it's you know, it's it's endearing and it's funny and it's fun to hear other people laughing and enjoying as well. But um I'll leave it at that. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it and uh Take care of yourselves. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for being thanks on. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, yeah it's thanks, our, it was our pleasure, obviously. Yeah. I'll, I'll run us out then uh, with a quick thank you very much for listening to Trilove. Uh, this has been our episode about Attack the Block. It is playing again this week at the Trilon. If you're listening to this when it releases on Tuesday, um, uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can follow me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. I'm Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. And I'm John. Thanks. You can find me at the Trilon. Nice. Thank you so much for being on, John. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. <laughs>